It's lovely to be here with you. And um, I do get to travel. Um, I didn't travel much from the pandemic, but I've just kind of started traveling again. And that's a great privilege that I have. Um, I was recently in Dubai and um, went to a conference there um, called Convergence. And it was all the nations of the world, all the nations of the world, not every nation in every world, in the world, but, but the nations that regions beyond are in, uh, we gathered there um, to celebrate. And Convergence is actually now an annual Regions Beyond conference. So every October, some of you might remember, there used to be one called The Hub in Dubai a few years ago. Well, now it's Convergence and it's every October. Uh, so if you want to get a taste of the nations and where we are involved in, then if you get the opportunity to go there, then that would be a great opportunity. Um, and uh, Regions Beyond is 175 churches in about um, 26 nations. And so the UK, we are the smaller part of the movement. And when I go to Dubai or other places, I love being in the smaller part. I love it when I see so many faces that are very different to mine um, and just reminds me of how big uh, the world is. And um, when I was there, I met a guy called Danny. Now, I had met Danny um, in 2019 in the Philippines. Can we have the picture? There he is. There's Danny, obviously the guy on the right. Um, not, the, not the lady on the left. And um, I met Danny in, in 2019 and got to know him a little bit. Uh, he's from a, uh, get the names right, he's from a city uh, called Batul. Never heard of that in India. In Maha I'll try and pronounce this a minute ago, Madhara, Madhara Pradesh. I'm not sure where that is either. I think it's in the north. Anyway, so, I'm, so I met him again in Dubai. And you know, like you have this casual conversation. Oh, how are you? What have you been up to? He said, well, actually, I've been in prison. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and actually, um, India has become a very, very challenging place to be a Christian. I don't know if you're aware of that. And um, he was accused by the RSS, who are a Hindu fundamentalist group, of converting people to Christianity. And so that's not allowed in India. Did you know there's an anti-conversion law? It is against the law to try and convert anybody. That will be true of a number of nations in the world. But it's true of India. Never used to be true, uh, but it has become true. And so he was put in prison. I mean, what would you do? What would you do? If suddenly the law says you cannot convert, what would you do? It's quite a challenge. And actually, so this poor guy, he's in prison, and in fact, Regions Beyond stepped in. I think uh, Regions Beyond Dubai stepped in, and actually they got a lawyer involved, and the lawyer then managed to um, get him bail. So he's actually out on bail. I'm not quite sure how he was able to leave the country and go to Dubai. I don't know how Indian bail works. But he's on bail, and he said his church, people have started, you know, some people are staying away now through fear. And it's just for me, it was just a stark reminder of the bigger world that we live in. So I want you to reach out your hands, and I'm going to pray for Danny right now, because I think we should be praying for this guy. Father, we want to pray for Danny right now. I want to thank you, Lord, for his courage in India to proclaim the gospel, even when the law says you can't. Thank you, Jesus, that he is willing to stand and say, well, actually, there is one on the throne more important than my government in power, <clears throat> and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for your protection for him and his family and his congregation. Father, I pray they would see many people come to Christ. 
And Lord, I pray you would keep him safe. You'd preserve him. And we pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in India. We pray, Lord, that the gospel will go out there and that you will be with and protecting brothers and sisters in India. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And there was another guy in India, Nigel, um, and um, they were kicked out of their flat because they were Christians. And they were told... They, they, they convert Hindus to Christianity. They were kicked out of their flat. They had to leave their flat. They took a while before they were able to get some more accommodations. So there is this massive persecution. We live in a country where we have freedom. And it's great, isn't it? Isn't it good? Freedom is good. And Paul says you should pray that, that, that for peace in your nation so that the gospel can go out. And we have peace in our nation. Um, even that funny moment in pandemic when we couldn't physically meet. We could still meet online and do all of that. So anyway, okay, so um, that's just kind of like, I don't know, I just wanted to highlight that really to give you a sense of a, of a bigger world out there. Um, but one of the values that we hold in regions beyond as churches is shaped by the prophetic. Uh, and we can so easily just kind of focus on the prophetic part of that statement, shaped by the prophetic. So, so therefore, we make sure we give space to prophecies. Yep, we're shaped by the prophetic because we have prophecies in our meeting. Do you know, a prophetic friend once said to me, um, over the last 20 years, his church had received numerous prophetic words, but not one of them had changed the church in any way. So they had the prophecies, but it didn't shape anything. Um, and... Um, you know, we need to be aware of the other part of that phrase, shaped by the prophetic. Shaped. It's allowing the prophetic gift. It's allowing, um, you know, what God speaks to us now um, to shape us. Just later on at five o'clock, we're going to have this, um, this workshop. I don't like the word workshop. I've got to think of another word. I don't know what it is. It kind of like conjures up something that I don't want to go to. Um, so, um, but I do want to go to this one, don't worry. <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you what we're going to do because it's actually, it's quite straightforward. Um, if you have any interest in the prophetic, whether you're a, a prophetic pro or whether you are an absolute beginner, um, if you, it's, it's for every Christian basically because every Christian can prophesy. And so I'm going to explain that. And I'm just going to give like some teaching on like five foundational things about prophecy so that we, because you kind of need to have a kind of a foundational understanding of it. So that's what I'm going to do. And then we're going to just um, break into some groups and we're going to use pictures. I brought lots of interesting pictures with me. We're going to use pictures to spark our prophetic imaginations and then, you know, share with one or two people in smaller groups. But you know what? You don't have to share anything. You don't have to say anything. You can come, you can observe, you can just enjoy it. Um, uh, and when you're there, God may actually speak to you through one of these pictures, and maybe you'll be able to share that with somebody else. Because you might also get a very, very helpful prophetic word for you, because other people will be very keen to share these pictures with you. And so, if nothing else, come along and see what God will say to you. So that's what we're going to do. So that's five o'clock. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's very relaxed, and um, you will enjoy it. So um, it's a fun shop, not a workshop. I don't know. Is that, is that a better phrase? I don't know if it's a better phrase. Let's call it a fun shop. Okay, shaped by the prophetic. Yeah, so today I want us to consider how the Apostle Paul allowed the prophetic to dramatically <coughs> shape his mission and his agenda. And what I want to do 
um, is I want to look at Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 15 and 16. And I want to draw out four prophetic insights. Let me just pray. Pray again now. It's good to pray. <clears throat> pray before I launch into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. It's just an amazing book. Um, incredible how events have been preserved for thousands of years for us to understand and see. It's amazing, Lord. We have conversations recorded. We have, um, uh, you know, military campaigns explained, or in this instance, missionary campaigns explained. We have teaching. And Lord, it's all so relevant today. It hasn't dated. It hasn't, you know, somehow got lost in the midst of time. It speaks to us today in the 21st century. And so, Lord, I pray you would speak to us this morning. I pray you'd speak to Gateway Church this morning and speak to us as a church, speak to individuals, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes and, and, and I pray we'd be stirred and, and, and provoked and motivated um, for what you have got for us launching ahead into 2023 and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I hope you've come to be a little bit challenged. I don't know why you come to church. Maybe it's the coffee, um, but <clears throat> let's have a bit of challenge this morning. Okay, so hopefully, um, that's it. That's brilliant. That's what I wanted. I, there's that. That's going to stay up, hopefully, most of the time for the next like, 15, 20 minutes anyway. And you can map on there um, Paul's journey, okay, as I talk about it. So Acts 15, this is what we read. It says, Paul, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, that seems a very reasonable thing. The aim of Paul's second, second missionary journey was to revisit and strengthen churches that he had um, planted on his first outing two years earlier. I mean, it's a very reasonable thing to do. You wouldn't, you know, <clears throat> good idea, Paul. <clears throat> Let's do that. I'm sure the Lord's in that. <clears throat> That's going to work well. <clears throat> And um, also, what's happened is there's been a council in Jerusalem as well at the same time. So there's, <clears throat> there's some information to share with the churches as well, because some things have been going on in Jerusalem, and they wanted to communicate some important information. <clears throat> Text hadn't quite yet been invented, so they had to actually physically go and tell them. And read, read the letter. There was a letter <clears throat> that had been produced. But do you know what happened? Paul and Barnabas disagreed. They disagreed as to whether they should take John Mark, and they could not resolve that disagreement. And so they parted company. That's a massive thing, I think. <clears throat> I love it that the Bible actually describes and tells us that <clears throat> and says these two apostles fell out. The reason I'm glad the Bible tells us is because we now know it's biblical for apostles to fall out. <clears throat> it's okay. It's in the Bible, so you can fall out. <clears throat> if you're an apostle here today, there is much falling out as you like. Um, thank you. Um, but actually, so they part company. But I'm presuming that Barnabas had the keys to the boat. Because they're in this boat, and they're going to go to Cyprus, and they're going to retrace the trip, and, and the first bit is on a boat. And Barnabas is saying, no, you can't. You can't have this boat, Paul. John Mark is coming with me in this boat. You can come with me, or you can go on your own. And they have this disagreement. Come on, give us the keys <clears throat> come on, we don't want to go on foot. We've already walked all the way I'm from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's a long way. No, no, I'm keeping the boat. So Barnabas sails off with John Mark, and poor old Silas, who's on the outside of all this, seeing these two bicker, <clears throat> then poor old John, poor old Silas, he says, God, Paul, we've got to go on foot. 
I mean, I mean, Silas has also come from, from Jerusalem to Antioch. So you can see all the way from Jerusalem to Antioch. He's already, they've already walked that number nine, look, that big nine here. Look. <clears throat> they've already walked that bit, and all this is taking place up there in Antioch. <clears throat> and, 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 and Silas really needs a new pair of shoes because they're worn out. But Paul says, no, come on, we're going to go on foot. So off they walk. So they go through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening um, the churches. That's Acts 15:41. And then <clears throat> they went to visit Derby, Iconium, Antioch, that's another Antioch, and Lystra, where they picked up Timothy and they added him to their group, which we are now calling the in phrase is apostolic band, okay? <clears throat> now that's not <clears throat> that's not a rock band. That's not like Paul doing his AD 50 Asia Minor tour and we'll visit all these cities on the way. <clears throat> we'll do some gigs. Um, apostolic band is a phrase that we're kind of using these days. It, what it, what it is, it's a term that explains Ephesians 4 giftings that come together, band together for a mission or a purpose, for apostolic mission. So we're trying to get away from the kind of apostolic teams, as if like, you know, 20 apostles should always keep going around doing something. <clears throat> no, apostolic band. We, we, Ephesians talks about different gifts, you know, evangelist, pastor, teacher, prophet, uh, and um, an apostle. They come together and uh, they help churches. And so that's what we're talking about here when I refer to that phrase. So this apostolic band, which at the beginning is just Paul and Silas. Silas is a prophet, by the way. Paul's... Um, Paul's an apostle by now. So it says in Acts 16, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So far, so good. Paul's original aim and purpose for this trip is being fulfilled. There was a bit of a hitch at the beginning. We fell out with Barnabas. He's gone off to Cyprus. Good luck to him. We're going to carry on, and we're going to strengthen the churches. Hey, it's going well, Silas. Look, I know, I know you're in a third pair of shoes already, <clears throat> but it's going well. But then what happens? God. But God. God intervenes as the Holy Spirit begins to redirect their journey and prepare them for a change of focus. Remember the, the idea? Paul says, let's go back to all the churches and strengthen them. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is now stepping in. So Acts 16.6 says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, because there's three of them now, because we've got Timothy, <clears throat> um, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul wants to go into the province of Asia, and the Holy Spirit says no. Isn't that interesting? Paul and the Holy Spirit are not seeing eye to eye in this moment. Because this is the Holy Spirit stopping them from going south <clears throat> to Perga and Attilia, which uh, is kind of like, it's not on that map. It, it's just south of, um, oh look, south of, oh, south of there, <clears throat> on the coast, north of Cyprus, south of Derby. <clears throat> um, so the Holy, they wanted to go down there. The Holy Spirit says no. Because those were towns on Paul's first missionary journey. And visiting those places would have completed Paul's original plan. Because he would have covered all the bases then with what he wanted to do. But the Holy Spirit is stopping him. 
But this prevention of the Holy Spirit, it didn't make Paul simply abandon the trip. Holy Spirit says no. Come on, Silas. Well, at least we picked up Timothy on the way. Come on, let's go back. Um, we'll tell, what are we going to tell the church? Well, we'll tell them the Holy Spirit said no. Well, they ain't going to buy that, are they? You know, um, that isn't what happens. It doesn't make Paul abandon and turn back. Instead, it actually does the opposite. It propels him northwards. So suddenly, he's going up on that number three there, Phrygia, through there. He's going up there now. That is never on his plan. And Paul is probably thinking something like this. What is the Holy Spirit up to? What's going on right now? You know, we haven't finished visiting all the churches, but he's definitely leading me somewhere. I've got to find out where. Where is the Holy Spirit taking us? And it's like suddenly Paul is probably, he's getting excited in this moment. And he's thinking, great, the Spirit is leading us somewhere. I don't know what Silas is thinking, and Timothy just thinks, oh, these apostolic bands, they're interesting, aren't they? We think we're going there, and now we're going there. Make up your mind, Paul. Anyway, Timothy is learning Paul's ways. And then for a second time, the Holy Spirit intervenes. It says, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. We don't know how the Holy Spirit is saying no. We don't know what that means. We don't know if that's a physical stopping uh, you know, or whether it's actually in their spirits, they're thinking, no, just shouldn't go there. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't answer that question, but it does say the Holy Spirit is saying no. But again, Paul doesn't turn back. A no for Paul means moving forward in a new direction. So this time he's moving, oh, it's gone now. This time he's moving westwards. <clears throat> there it is. He's now going westwards on the, on the other part of that number three. Um. Each no seems to slingshot Paul forward in a new direction. It says in 16.8, so they passed Mycenae and went down to Troas. Now, Troas is where God now adds Luke to this apostolic band. And that's significant because Luke is going to start recording the events that are about to unfold. He's obviously getting filled in as well on the events that have happened because he's, he's written it all down for Acts. But he's now going to start recording the events. Now, Troas is a very interesting place. Troas was a port on the Aegean Sea facing across to Macedonia. And it's a long way off Paul's original plan. In fact, Paul had been walking for nearly 800 miles since leaving Antioch in Syria. 800 miles. That's six pairs of shoes for Silas. I mean, 800 miles. What would 800 miles look like? So Colin says, let's go and plant a church. Where are we going to plant it, Colin? Well, why don't we go and plant it in Rome? Okay, great. Let's book some airfares. No, 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 no. We're going to walk. That's what it's like. It's like walking nearly, not quite, but very nearly. It's like walking from London to Rome. That's the distance they've covered. That's a phenomenal distance. Do you know what? Half of that distance was unplanned. They only expected to do half of that. They expected to be on their way back, having enjoyed strengthening the churches. They're going back for a short holiday, a nice little break, you know, a few days by the um, Mediterranean Sea. No, you know, They've gone 800 miles, 400 miles off course. 
This is a big, big change. It's a big shift, isn't it? <clears throat> Paul is willing to the Holy Spirit to shape him in such an amazing way that he will be way off the original plan. And as they stood on the quayside, they were looking from Asia into Europe. And they had a whole new continent before them. And then, in the night, Paul gets a vision of a man of Macedonia pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Wow. <clears throat> and the word, is, it's a very strong verb. I know this because when you read the different translations, they always translate it differently. It's very interesting when they always translate a word differently. <clears throat> and so it's pleading, urging, begging. Imagine that, begging, the vision, begging, Paul, please, please, Paul, come over. Do you think he got the message? <laughs> it's a very clear message. Having had lots of no's, he now gets a vision of a man pleading with him. Sounds like a yes to me. Acts 16.10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that amazing? The Greek word, the word that we translate concluding, it means to bring together or put together one in one's mind. So what they did is they bring together both forms of guidance. They bring the negative and the positive together. They're both different ways that the Holy Spirit has led them. No, no, please come over here. These are ways the Holy Spirit is leading them. They've put it all together and they've concluded this is what we're doing. This is why we're 400 miles off course. This is why, you know, we're nowhere near uh, Derby now. <laughs> we're right over here. Because only in Troas does the prophetic no of the Holy Spirit make sense. Because they found the yes. You see, when the Holy Spirit says no, there's always a yes. There is a yes to follow. You might even get two no's. Who knows? You could even get three or four no's. But it's looking for the yes. It's looking for the where then, Lord? Where should we go then? And they find that in Troas. <clears throat> and so they understand the location to which God has brought them. Come over to Macedonia is come over the sea to the unreached peoples of Europe. That's what it means. Europe is unreached. The gospel has not gone there yet. And God is saying, I want the gospel in Europe. And the result is a whole new set of churches planted. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, the region where many of Paul's pastoral letters are later focused. This is what shaped by the prophetic looks like in the New Testament. It's radical, isn't it? A radical redirection from merely strengthening local churches to planting churches amongst unreached people groups. It's exciting. It's exciting what's going on there, isn't it? Goodness me. I want to give you four insights, prophetic insights, that come out of this. I need a little table here. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> First one is very quick. In some ways, this situation, this Macedonian call, um, in some ways it resembles where we are at as a movement in regions beyond, okay? 
I don't know how uh, well informed you are as a church about the prophetic words that have come <clears throat> over recent years. There's been two key ones. New Era, I'm sure you've heard of that. There's the New Era word, but then there's this New Boat word. They both came in 2019. They both came just a few weeks apart, actually. <clears throat> uh, but there's the New Era and the New Boat prophetic word that Regents Beyond have received. And as a movement, we are therefore metaphorically standing opposite an ocean looking across continents with the call of unreached people groups asking us to come and help them. That's where we are as a movement. That is really what Regions Beyond is about in its essence. There's other things as well, important things like care for the poor, um, uncut stones, um, you know, therefore one another success. There's lots of little catchphrases. <clears throat> but I think primarily as a movement, we are about reaching unreached people groups. There are 15 unreached people groups in the UK. Uh, identify. You've gone the Joshua Project, but there will be far more unreached people dotted around. They will be in Swindon. Uh, Sue, my wife, is an English teacher, and um, at the time we looked at some of the nationalities she teaches, and we realised she's teaching two people from unreached people groups in Worthing. Wow. So we are at a Macedonia moment as a movement. God has brought us to this place. He's kind of brought us to Troas, if you like. Second insight, although the intention of Paul's second trip was primarily to strengthen existing churches, the Holy Spirit had much bigger plans. So the default in risk-averse cultures is to play safe and strengthen churches rather than pioneer. I know, because I'm from a risk-averse culture, UK. I know what it's like. I, I'm speaking to fellow risk-averse people. Some people are more risk-averse and less risk-averse. That's absolutely true. Um, I grant you that completely. But generally speaking, <clears throat> um, I think we're a risk-averse culture. We kind of like to play it a little bit safe. Not only that, sometimes we will try our hardest to keep everything going, come what may. But the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 suggests that although some seed will take root and multiply, some will wither. We don't like to look at that bit, do we? <gasps> the withering seed. And sometimes we can put masses of time and energy into a failing church for purely sentimental reasons. Uh, let me give you a quote I came across fairly recently. A guy called Dr. Charles Mylander from Setting Your Church Free. It's a really good book. Uh, he writes this. When churches die or lapse into ineffectiveness, we tend to think the problem lies in poor attendance and financial Problems, lack of leadership, or dysfunctional patterns of infighting, we seldom consider the biblical truth that the living Christ may be carrying out his judgments. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wow. That's incredible. And I can think um, over the years of, of, of different settings where we've tried so hard to keep things going. I think a long time after the lampstand was taken away. But let's go back to Paul's trip. If he had stuck to his original plan, Paul would never have gone into Macedonia, would he? He'd be 400 miles away, um, still in Asia Minor. Think about the churches that wouldn't have been planted. I read out the list. There'd be some more than, more than that, but those are the main ones. Those churches never would have been planted. Think about the letters that wouldn't have been written, that now strengthen us. We recently preached through 1 Thessalonians. I found it a very rich, exciting book. It's kind of how this preach emerged, actually. It was when I'm researching 1 Thessalonians. We would never have had 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians if Paul had not gone to Macedonia. <clears throat> Those books wouldn't exist. 
But you know what? Paul understood the leading of the Holy Spirit and was willing not only to adapt his plans, but to be completely redirected. That's radical. To forego the strength of the last two churches in order to follow the Holy Spirit. And I find that Paul's dependency on the Holy Spirit leading us, leading on this journey, I think it's impressive and radical. I am impressed by Paul. I, now I understand this, I'm more, far more impressed than Paul than I was before. Because God has done something amazing. And this should challenge us about being radically led by the Spirit and shaped by the prophetic rather than sticking to a safe agenda. In a risk-averse culture, we tend to want to stick to a safe agenda. Hang on, are we being shaped by the prophetic? It looks radical. It looks crazy. It looks bonkers. Um, recently, I, I was chatting to Tony Hall. He kind of leads the UK team. He's based in Hope Church in um, <clears throat> Borough of Bromley. Um, and um, they, they had a, a building called the Goodmead Centre. And actually, through some prophetic words, they sold it. Well, they're in the process of selling it. And they had nowhere to go. Now, suddenly, they find themselves, interestingly, in a shopping center in Orpington. And I went in there for the first time last week. And the amount of space they've got is massive. And I began to feel the Spirit of God speaking to me uh, for them, for a church. And I realized that what Tony had done is he had radically followed the leader of the Holy Spirit by giving up something secure and safe, kind of like maybe a few like on the edge of town, and followed the Spirit right into the heart of town. Where he is now, at this moment with the cost of living crisis and all the, all the problems, they are fantastically positioned to start helping the community. Now, their building is on a very, very tenuous lease. I've got a feeling they're going to be there for a long time. I think God planted them there. It's interesting. What, following the radical nature of the Holy Spirit, it looks different in every circumstance. But are you following that radical call of the Spirit? Here's another one. Third one, the Holy Spirit picks up the pace of church planting. Paul wanted to strengthen existing churches, but the Spirit was quickening the pace and accelerating church planting. And the Holy Spirit seems to have an urgency greater than Paul's to plant churches, <clears throat> which we tend to think now, well, that's a bit crazy. But here we see the Spirit is far more urgent than Paul. Do you know what? Sometimes um, keeping in step with the Spirit isn't like a leisurely stroll in the park. We think keeping in step with the Spirit is like, oh, how are you doing, Holy Spirit? You know, what are we going to do today? Where are we going to go? And you turn around and he's not there because the Holy Spirit is over here and you're trying to keep pace with the Spirit and he is on a jog. He is running. The Spirit is on mission. The Spirit is saying, come on, we need to plant churches. Come on, there's an urgency. People need to hear the gospel. Come on, don't walk, don't stroll. Let's get the pace up. Let's get moving. That's what the Spirit says sometimes. He's not some light night gentleman. We just tip our hat to him. How are you doing? He's on a mission. If you are not on his mission, he'll leave you behind. And he'll raise up somebody that will sprint with him and run with him. Are you running with the Spirit? Are you sprinting with the Spirit? What's he doing? What's he doing in your setting? Ah. <laughs> I believe the Holy Spirit is impressing upon us as a movement to pick up the pace with greater urgency than before. 
We've come out of the pandemic. We've emerged. I know there are still some issues. I know a few people certainly struggle and and they have to be careful. But do you know what? It's time to run. It's time to run in this new era. It's time to run in a way that we haven't before. My last point, number four, it took Paul back to his calling in Acts 9. In Acts 9, God says, Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. You see, Paul wasn't just called to strengthen what he planted, but to go on planting and proclaiming God to the Gentiles and to Israel. That was his calling. And he seems to understand this more and more. So by the time he writes Romans, seven years later in AD 57, Paul is able to say, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So moving forward, Paul finds new ways to strengthen churches along the way. It's not that he wants to abandon them. It's not that he says, I planted you. I'm not interested anymore. In fact, when you read his letters, he's like a father. He's like a mother. You know, with the Thessalonians and he's pulled apart. It's like, I felt, I felt orphaned by you. You know, we're apart. So he really feels passionately. And yet he knows he's called to pick up the pace and start planting churches. So he's got to find new ways to do it. So what does he do? He, he discovers letter writing. Inspired by Luke, joining the apostolic band, carefully investigating and recording everything. That's what the Bible says about Luke. And then he discovers others by sending others like Timothy, who joined the apostolic band and became Paul's true son in the faith, able to represent him. So Paul cares about the churches. I can write them letters. I can send them Timothy. Because when they get Timothy, they get me because he knows my ways. But Paul is on this mission. So as the Holy Spirit picks up the pace, we need to find new ways of strengthening rather than becoming set in old ways. If Acts 9 was written about regions beyond, how would it read? Well, it's actually we're in there. We're in the Bible. Um, It does read. You know, because what is our fundamental calling as a movement? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. It's not a coincidence as a movement we're called Regions Beyond. I do not believe Steve Oliver came up with a nice name. Let's come up with a nice name. He's inspired by this. Steve has this in his heart. He has it in his DNA. And so he calls the movement the thing that is his baby, the thing that is his dream. That's what he names the movement. And we join with him. We're joining in that. Preaching the gospel in the regions beyond you. I believe that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to, to um, we're unreached peoples beyond Macedonia. So I think we have reached the moment where we must mature into our uniqueness as a movement, going to unreached peoples in regions beyond. <clears throat> okay, in conclusion, I want to finish by kind of asking a question really both individually and as you as a church. I believe this is our Macedonian moment now. I believe coming out of the pandemic into the new era, with new horizons set before us, God's saying you need a new boat to go to unreached peoples. 
I think we're in this Macedonian moment, but are you ready for the call? Are you ready for the call? Do you know what? It's interesting that Paul didn't get the Macedonian call while he's in Antioch. He didn't get it there, did he? Why did Paul not get the Macedonian call? Why does he not get a vision in Antioch? It would have saved so much time. He wouldn't have dithered around and go to all these other churches. He could have gone straight, you know, on the motorway to Macedonia. Troas, here we come. I'll pre-order the boat. We'll get an Uber. We'll get, we'll get it. We'll get it all set up. It's going to be waiting for us. We're going to get there. We're in Macedonia. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get the calling when he's in Antioch. Why is that? The reason is that Paul was not positioned properly yet. He wasn't positioned for that call. Not only was the call 800 miles away, but his heart was still in strengthening mode. He was still thinking, I need to strengthen, I need to strengthen. He wasn't ready. It was only by Paul's repeated responses of faith and obedience to the Holy Spirit's no, so I believe the no showed his faith and obedience Only because he responded well to those situations was he properly positioned to then receive the Macedonian call. It's interesting, isn't it, that the no can be quite confusing. But if you're obedient and you follow it, when you get to the yes, it's quite clear what it is. Receiving it both in his heart by faith and geographically on the key side. I've no idea what time I should finish. I've nearly finished, don't worry. So, where are you right now? Are you positioned correctly for a Macedonian call? Is your heart ready to respond and be redirected as necessary? Um, I preached this in Dubai um, just last month, and a couple heard it called Ray and Ruby, and they felt challenged, and they're now moving to Palawan in the Philippines to plant a church because they realize they need to reposition themselves. And how about you, Gateway? Where are you positioned right now? Have you been positioned in strengthening mode? making the church safe after all the COVID disruption? Or are you trained and positioned to be listening and waiting to respond to your Macedonian call? And also on that one, what is your unique call as a church? What is your unique call? What are you called to do? What is the part that you play? And I just had a sense, even as I wrote that in here just this morning, because it wasn't in my notes yesterday. I feel like God wants to say, if you dig in your history, you'll find your calling. If you dig in your history, you'll find a foundation and you'll find an outline of something that I have laid that you need to build on. And I believe in that you will find a unique calling, even within regions beyond, you'll find, hang on, this is why we're here. This is what we're about. This is why we're here. This is, this is it. And I can, in my mind's eye, I just see like an archaeology, archaeological site right now. And as elders, as you're kind of dusting the dirt away, and suddenly you're thinking, wow, there's something laid out here that we had missed or we didn't understand. Uh, I don't know, I just throw that out to you as a, as a, an, in a prophetic kind of way. I just want to finish with a, an example. <clears throat> Do you know what? In 1990, Sue and I, we stood on the border of Albania. Albania was a closed nation. You couldn't go in there. It was the first nation that proclaimed itself as an atheistic nation. There will be no religion in our nation. And they eradicated all religion 
Christianity, Islam, and anything else that vaguely resembled religion, they eradicated it. There were no Christians in Albania. They weren't allowed to come in. But we stood on the border of Albania, and uh, we were in a country that didn't exist anymore. We were in Yugoslavia at the time, and went to this traditional Albanian market, which wasn't in Albania, but it was close to it. And we just ventured outside of this village, and we saw the border, and you could see it stretched out, and it caught our imagination. And there's a guard there with a gun. And if we stray too far, that gun will get pointed at us. Took a photo of him. Um, and um, we prayed. We prayed for a number of times for the guard and for the nation. But you know what? We forgot about Albania. The years passed by. We forgot about Albania. But during that time, something had happened in Albania. Actually, there'd been a revolution. There'd been a crash of the nation, a crash of the, um, uh, of the political system. And in the midst of everything, missionaries started to go in and started to preach the gospel. And 20 years later, after 1990, 20 years later, so that's 2010, we found ourselves going into Albania ministering the gospel. And I remember the first time I went in, I went and stayed in the house of a man called Shabam. And he told me the story. And his story is that when the nation was just collapsing around him, he just wanted to get him and his young family out, and they're on a beach waiting for a boat to get out, because nobody could leave Albania before. So this is the first time they could leave Albania. And so they're thinking, let's get out. And on the beach, an American missionary has just landed because he can get in. And the missionary had shared the gospel with Shabam, and Shabam had become a Christian. And he decided not to go. He decided to stay, and he planted a church. And he was one of the first Christians in Albania. And I was just so taken aback when I heard his story. You know, in 1990, Sue and I, we were geographically positioned, but our hearts were still 20 years away. 20 years away. But God never forgets your prayers. There are new Macedonian calls about to come. How are we positioned? Don't wait 20 years. Follow the Spirit now. Be shaped by the Spirit now. I just want to pray for anybody who feels stirred that they need to kind of be repositioned or that they need to um, uh, just reposition their hearts. Repositioning may not mean you go anywhere. It can be a heart attitude. Actually, I want my heart repositioned. I've become a bit hard or it's become, I've become strengthening mode. Do you know what? Danny went to prison. He didn't get repositioned. He's just witnessing in his own town. He goes to prison for the gospel. But his heart is positioned correctly. And I just want to pray for you. If you need to be repositioned, maybe your heart, but maybe physically, maybe you just want to start praying for unreached people groups. The world needs the gospel, folks. There is a whole world out there. So if you want me to pray, I'm just going to pray over you, just a simple prayer. But God sees, God sees the moment, just like God saw Sue and I on the border praying for Albania 20 years later. We're in Albania. Unbelievable. How did that happen? We're a young couple, don't even married a year. Suddenly, we take our whole family there on mission. It's amazing. God will do amazing things, and he looks down even now for those who will say, here I am, Lord. Send me, either my prayers or my money 
or maybe semi-physically. I just want to pray for you. If you want to stand now, if you want to be repositioned, if you feel like God, would you position me? Father, I want to thank you so much for all the people that are standing now. They, they know why they're standing. There'll be lots of reasons, lots of different, I'm standing for this, I'm standing for that, I'm standing for that. But Lord, you see their hearts. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as they say, I need to be repositioned, Father, would you reposition them? Would you prepare their hearts? If their hearts aren't right, Lord, if their hearts are still 20 years away, may it not be so now. May they be ready right now. Lord, if it's a physical move, may it be done. Reposition them. If it's, if it's reaching out to my neighbor, I'm positioned. I, just, I didn't realize the position I was at because of my neighbor next door. I didn't know God put me in this house for them, for the person to my right, to my left, over the road. We have been positioned strategically. I want to pray, Lord, for your blessing upon these people. Lord, would you send us not just to the unreached, but the partially reached, the slightly reached. Send us to our unreached neighbors, our unreached roads, our unreached community, the unreached across the nations. Lord, I pray, I pray from this church, many will go and many will be sown in the nations. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.